Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Narratives of Grace podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Caleb. Today's message will be from Pastor John Matlack entitled, What's in a Name? Looking at the significance of some of the early biblical figures in the book of Genesis. Pray that this is a blessing to all of you. Good morning. If the children have their parents' permission, they may be dismissed to Pastor Dennis in the back, and he will take them to Children's Church. So, thank you. So for those of you who don't know me, which I don't think there's very many, I am John Matlack. Uh, And for those of you who do know me, this will be a refresher. Uh, I have uh, been working on finishing up seminary so that I can apply to be a chaplain. And I'm really grateful for Mililani Baptist's uh, support as I've been going through this process the last couple of years. Uh, They've given me plenty of opportunity to serve here. And uh, it seems very common that people will come and they'll ask me how my studies are going. And they'll ask me how much longer I have. And I've really appreciated the support. And so for those who've been supporting me, I do have an update for you. Assuming that I pass all of my classes, which I think I will, uh, May 8th will be my last day of classes, and then I will be done with this degree, and there will be great rejoicing. So, thank you. I I just, again, I I really want to thank the church for their support through this journey and for all the encouragement and all the, uh, all the advice and, and tips, I've learned a lot um, from the church. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had plenty of opportunity to preach in the evening services, uh, very little in the morning. I believe this is only my third time in the mornings. But for those of you who are patient enough to come and listen to my evening services, you'll know that I spent about a year going through all six chapters of the book of Ephesians. Uh, and so this morning... You'll be glad to know that I have selected only two chapters to talk to you about from the book of Genesis. I really hope nobody made plans for this afternoon uh, because I've made plans for you. And for those with children, don't worry. I have arranged for them to be taken straight to Awana's. You'll be fine. No, uh, in in all seriousness, though, uh, we are going to be looking at a couple of verses or a couple of uh, chapters in Genesis, but first let's open up with a word of prayer. Lord, we uh, thank you for today. Lord, we come to you. We thank you for this opportunity to to worship you and to learn from your word. Lord, I just pray as uh, we open your word that you, you would speak through me, that it would be your message that is given and not mine. And I pray that you would Use this as a time to, to bless us and to, to teach us to be more like you. Pray these things in Christ's name, amen. So, Genesis. I like the book of Genesis. It is, bar none, my favorite book in the whole Bible. And the reason is, is because Genesis is full of history. It's full of doctrine. It's full of images of God's grace And it's full of wisdom, practical wisdom for us living our life. And my prayer as we look at the passage today is that everyone will see that in the passage. 
So we're going to be looking at, uh, oh wait, not there yet. So what's in a name? That's what I titled my, my message this morning. What's in a name? Now in America, we don't think a lot about names. People will name their kids after whatever, a car they wish they had or, or whatever. We don't think a lot about it. But their names have meanings. Some names have really deep meanings and some names uh, less, less deep. When Judy and I first got married, we had a dog, and I named our dog Subaka. Great name. That sounds great. Subaka. It's the Russian word for uh, dog. <laughs> yes, I named my dog Dog. And for years, my wife would pick on me for that. You named your dog Dog. Yes, yes, I did. And uh, finally, I get into seminary, and I learned something. This is the, probably the most useful thing I learned in seminary so far because it has finally given me an answer for my wife. Did you know that the Hebrew transliteration for the word man is Adam? If God can name his man, man, I can name my dog, dog, right? Other names have a little bit more meaning. Isaac, for example, means laughter. Reminder to his parents of how they laughed when God promised his birth. Or Kofi Annan, the uh, late Secretary uh, General of the UN. If you're uh, my age and older, you probably remember seeing him in the news a lot. If you're younger, you're probably like, who's Kofi Annan? His name had a really deep meaning. It meant born on Friday. I'm guessing he was probably born on Tuesday or Friday. Either one. And this morning, when we look at our passage, we're going to see what could be in a name. So if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 20. And while you're turning there, I'm going to really quick summarize the entire scripture up until this point. So here we go. God is creating the the whole universe. Uh, He has everything created except for mankind. Well, actually, he's created man already by the time we get to where we're starting. Uh, but uh, he, he, come to, he came to day six, which started in the evening. We think of the, the day starting at midnight or in the first thing in the morning. But no, it started in the evening of day, after day five, and he created all the land animals, and he created Adam. So that probably took him less than 20 seconds, I'm assuming. I mean, how long does it say to say, let there be land animals, you know, bam. And then uh, he formed Adam out of the dust of the earth, breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, and gives Adam a job. He tells Adam, name all of the animals. And so now we pick up uh, the last half of verse 20 in chapter 2 of Genesis. It says, so Adam gave names to all the cattle, uh, uh, all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God took from him, he made into a woman and brought her to him. And Adam said, Now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, A man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 
and they were both naked, and the man and his wife were not ashamed. Now I'm going to skip a few verses. I'm going to summarize what's in these verses. But, uh, I'm going to skip a few verses real quick here. What we have next is uh, uh, chapter 3 opens with this story. So Adam and Eve are walking through the uh, garden. The snake starts talking to Eve. Adam's not part of the conversation. Maybe he was rusty on his snake. I don't know. Uh, the, Eve, uh, the snake convinces Eve to eat fruit from the one forbidden tree. And she eats, and then she turns around and she hands it to Adam, who's with her, and he eats. And immediately it says their eyes were open and they recognized that they were naked and they were ashamed. So they went and they gathered fig leaves. I think in the first service I accidentally said olive leaves, but they were fig leaves. And they sewed them together to make themselves clothes, uh, but it didn't work very well. And so now we pick back up in verse 9 of chapter 3, and he says, you know what, I have this on the screen. There's the first verses we read, the fall, and then the next verse. Okay. He says, uh, then the Lord God called to Adam, saying, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said to the woman, uh, then the man said, the woman whom you gave me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow in, and your conception, and in pain you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And I'm going to skip a few verses again. Uh, the verses I'm skipping, God is now cursing the earth as punishment to Adam. And he's saying, hey, the earth isn't just going to bring forth the fruit. You're going to have to till the ground. You're going to have to deal with thistles and thorns and weeds and dandelions. And then we come to verse 20, and it says, Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Also, for Adam his wife, the Lord made tunics of skin and Adam and his wife, the Lord made tunics of skin and clothed them. Now this is this is a very rich passage, and if you're not intimately familiar with it, I encourage you to read the read it in its entirety uh, after the service. Uh, but I I'm just trying to highlight a few things. That's the reason we didn't read the whole thing here. But it's a very rich passage. And so I want to pick out a few things. Uh, we, I want to start with the conversation or the, or the discussion about having uh, Adam, but, but for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. So Adam has gone. 
He has a super brain, right? Because he's perfect. He's not fallen. He's probably using 100% of his brain. Researchers say we use like 10% of ours. So he's able to name the, uh, the beasts of the field and the cattle and all the creeping things, everything pretty quick. So we're probably about somewhere between noon and two o'clock in the afternoon on day six. And he realizes, hey guys, I'm all alone. All I have is God who is vastly superior to me and all these animals that are vastly inferior to me. And there is nobody who's my peer. And so God has a plan to fix it. God had this plan from the beginning, but he wanted Adam to recognize the value of his wife, so he waited till he saw all the animals. So he, he takes Adam, he does the first surgery in, in uh, history, he takes the rib, and, and he, creates, uh, he creates woman. He creates Eve. Well, woman. And Adam sees her, and he says, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken from, uh, from man. So what we have going here is he's excited. Uh, I remember when I was a kid uh, hearing somebody kind of paraphrase this and is like, so, you know, God made woman and takes him to Adam and Adam says, wow, man. That was a laugh line. Um, so Adam is thrilled, Right? Here he has someone equal to him. He has what he's been needing, what he's realized he needs. And so, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, that's that, you are human. But then also, with the name woman, because at this point that's her name, he's citing that he is the source of her life because the rib came from him. Now, I want, to, I want you to hold on to that for a moment. We're going to come back to that later in the sermon, but think about that. Here he is naming his wife and very grateful, very blessed and everything, but, but putting that in her name, that she came from him, that he is the source of her life. Now, when I was younger, there was a question I'd often heard battered around. What did Eve look like? Now, the answer that seemed most satisfactory was, well, Eve was created perfect, so she was probably the most beautiful woman that you'd ever see, right? Now, as I was working on this, I actually came across a picture of Eve uh, as God brought her to, to introduce him to uh, Adam. Yeah? Most beautiful woman in the world? <laughs> so here we have now a contrast. We have Adam who's saying, Eve is everything that I lack. God has given me everything that I lack. I'm sorry, woman is everything that I lack. God has given me everything that I lack. And now we're going to come down to chapter 3, verse 12, and I'm gonna, I have these two verses there to kind of compare and contrast now Adam's attitude towards woman. And verse 23, you have that, that she's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, right? That excitement that she's what I need. And then now we come to verse 12 in chapter 3, and, he, and God is asking what's going on, and he says, the woman, the one you gave me, she gave it to me and I ate. It's all her fault. Now, what we have going on here 
in case you don't have a scorecard and you're keeping track, we have the world's first marital spat. And if you don't think this is a marital spat, gentlemen, when you go home, blame your wife for damning all of humanity and see how well that goes over. I can guarantee you, if this isn't the text of the marital spat, which it's probably only part of it, there's more to it. Uh, and, and when I was talking to Dennis earlier, he said the same thing. He was like, man, imagine the look she gave him. Mm, yeah, I can imagine that. I'm sure there were probably a lot more words said that are not recorded in history or in the, in the scripture because they wanted to keep it, you know, where children could read it. But here he is blaming his wife for the downfall, blaming her for his sin. That's quite a bit different than what we saw just a few verses above. But fortunately, the story doesn't end there. It goes on. The next passage, we see God cursing first the serpent, then the woman, then Adam. And a lot of people get fixated on the cursing, and that's all they see. In fact, if you read Augustine, which if you don't have to, it's kind of hard to read these guys. They translate it out of Latin, so I wouldn't do it. But if you read Augustine, he misses it. He doesn't see anything redemptive here. But as I read this, I see... I see God's blessing mixed with a curse. So first, in verse 15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall, bruise, uh, he, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What this is, this is a promise of the coming Messiah. God is sending one through the woman who will defeat Satan, who will defeat sin and death and will bring us life, will bring us an opportunity for spiritual life, for eternal life. In verse 16, he's talking to the woman. He says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and, and your conception and in pain you will bring forth children. And we tend to focus on sorrow and pain and we're like, oh, this is terrible. But right there is a promise He's saying, Adam and woman, you've sinned. You're spiritually dead. You're going to be physically dead. But I'm going to give you children so that humanity isn't destroyed. I'm not going to wipe out humanity, which honestly, at this point, they deserved. They'd sinned against the holy God. But instead of wiping out humanity, he says, I'm going to give you offspring. I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to bless you. Uh, yeah, those are two blessings. And then finally, we come down to, ch to verse 20. Well, yeah, to verse 20. And he says, we, we see now a change. A change in Adam's demeanor towards his wife. He started with saying, hey, this is what I need. This is what God is giving me to cover my needs. 
Then he goes to blaming her. And now we come down here and it says, and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the name Eve really is life. She's the source of life. And Adam is recognizing several things here. He's, first off, he's blessing her. Instead of accusing her of being the cause of death, which he had a few verses earlier, he's now saying she's the source of life. He's finally taking responsibility for his own sin, but he's recognizing that through Eve is his hope for life. Through Eve will come the one who will defeat sin and death. Through Eve, through the woman, will come the Messiah, who we know did come uh, in, in the person of Jesus Christ. He's seeing that, and he is showing, not only is he blessing Eve, but he is showing his faith in God's promise. He's saying, God, you promised this. I believe you will carry it out. And I will change her name to Eve so that when I call her name, I, I remember your promise that you've given us. And then, it goes to the discussion of the robe. Now, I want, to, I want you to kind of follow through this, this development here. So bear with me as we go through several of these verses again. Uh, chapter 2, verse 25, which is the end of chapter 2, it says, They were both naked, and they were not ashamed. They were both naked, and they were not ashamed. This is that innocence. Now, when I was thinking of this, I was trying to wrap my head around it, I was thinking, you know, the innocence of children, children who don't understand uh, the sin and the consequences of sin and so forth. And it reminded me of a story. We had, uh, uh, when, when Sarah Miller first got here, uh, she came to stay at our house, and uh, Pastor Brandon and Pastor Allen came with her. And so they came, and they introduced us to Sarah, and we were having dinner, and it was getting, you know, kind of late-ish, and so we told our daughters, we're like, hey, go take a shower. And Nema jumps up and turns to Esther and says, let's get naked, and runs off. Now, as if that's not embarrassing enough, a few minutes later, I look up, and here she comes down the hallway, completely naked, trying to get help with her shower cap. I'm like, whoa, 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 we have company, we have company, we have company, right? But she was, what, three-ish? That's just the innocence of a child who doesn't, who's not been marred with the sin yet. I'm not saying she was perfect, but she still had that innocent mindset. She didn't understand the shame of being naked. And then contrast that after one understands the shame of sin and how we respond uh, in verse 10 of chapter 3, he says, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He had been trying to cover himself up already. He'd been already taking those leaves and sewing them together and trying to cover himself up, trying to cover his shame, like we may do when we sin and we want to cover it up with our good works. But it wasn't good enough. He couldn't cover his shame. And so then he hides. 
And of course, now God is saying, hey, the last time I saw you, you were innocent and didn't understand this. What'd you do? Right? God knew, but he's trying to get Adam to, to fess up. And then now we come to verse 21 there in chapter 3. And it says, for Adam and his wife, the Lord made tunics of skin and clothed them. Their shame was so great, they could not make adequate coverings of their own, but God could. And God did in His grace. And these were made of skin. Another, another image right there, the first death recording, recorded. Our sin requires the shedding of blood, just as Christ came and died on the cross to cover our sin. There's the shedding of blood, just as there was the shedding of blood to cover the shame of Adam and Eve. And God gave them these tunics. And we think, you know, when you see the little drawings of Adam and Eve being driven from the garden, right? They're always in these uh, little skin deals that kind of come over one shoulder and maybe come down about this low, right? But that's not the idea of tunic here. No, no, no. This is neck high, ankle length, long sleeve. God has fully covered them. Their shame is fully covered by God's provision. Now, let's kind of break this down a little bit more and think about it. Adam and Eve, in the beginning, in, in, chapter, in verse, chapter 2, verse 25, they have this intimate relationship with God where there's no shame. There's nothing separating them. Then they sin, and we see a break in their relationship. We see a break in their relationship with God. They have to hide from God. We see a break in their relationship between one another. They're arguing over whose fault it is. See, sin brings a break in the relationship, and only through God's grace can those relationships be mended. And if we think about this in our lives, if we are struggling with sin, it does the same to us. If you have anger and bitterness in your life, let's say you become bitter with me for something, and then you go and you go home. You're so angry with me. That's going to kill your, your relationship with God. Because when you go and you're trying to pray, you're trying to read the Bible, if, you, if you're even doing it, right? It's, it's just words. It's just actions because there's that break because of the sin. Also, that bitterness will bleed out into your other relationships to those around you. You're not angry and bitter with your family, but your bitterness towards me will affect your relationships with your family and it will cause a divide. And that's what sin does. And we can think even, even addiction and, and it's real common for us to think, oh yeah, uh, you know, alcohol or drug addiction, that causes definite divide. We can see how it breaks the, the relationships down. But what about other addictions? What about even just binge-watching TV, which may seem, you know, okay, but you're binge-watching TV, maybe something that's not so glorifying to God, and we see that breakdown. Now instead of spending time with God, we're spending time with the TV, Instead of spending time in our relationships with our family, we're spending time with the TV. 
I'm not saying don't watch TV. I'm just saying keep it in, in its proper place. How can we mend those relationships? After we have this sin that has broken everything, how can we mend those relationships? God. God has provided the covering. We can look back at Adam's example. We can accept the grace of God. And we can pass that grace on to those around us by blessing them. But God is the one who gives us the answer to repair our, 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 our relationships. God is willing to restore our relationships. Our relationship with Him our relationships with one another. But church, I challenge you. We have to recognize God's grace in our life. Now I'm coming down here because I'm not telling you as one who's got this all figured out. I'm telling you as one who struggles with this myself. We have to accept God's grace and we have to show it to others. As Adam blessed Eve after their fight, when we have conflict with one another, we should bless the other person. That's what we are called to do. And like I said, I'm a broken man. I don't do this. When I have a fight with my wife, I don't end it uh, by blessing her all the time. But think about it. God has given us so much grace Isn't it only right that we show it to others, that we give it back to them? If you're married folks, I challenge you, after you have conflict, to bless one another. That can really bring a picture of God's grace in your relationship. For those who aren't married and even for those who are, when you have conflict outside of You know, you may have conflict at work, at school, even within your family with other family members. Pray for those people. Bless them. Forgive them. Show God's grace to them as he has shown to us so that we can take the example that that Adam gave to us on how to accept God's grace in our life and to show it to others. Think about it, though. We've talked about family. We've talked about school, home. What about here at the church? Milani Baptist, we've had conflict. There are people who are hurting, but I would suggest to you that this is our calling, that we show grace, that we forgive, that we bless those who we feel has wronged us, that we show God's grace to them. And for those of you who think, John, you're talking to me from Genesis, you know what, in Matthew 5, Verses 43 through 47. Jesus commands us to pray for our enemies, to bless those who curse us. And that can be difficult. It can be very hard. A few years ago when the North Korea missile scare was a big thing, I saw a comedian. Uh, he, he had a very comedic 
discussion of it, but he was a Christian comedian. And at the end of his discussion about, you know, the ICBMs and so on and so forth, he says, what should, what should our Christian response to this be? And he said, our Christian response should be to pray, to pray for the North Koreans, to pray for their leader, to pray and to forgive. Now, it's easy for us to think about that on a national level where it's not intimate, it's not personal, but what about in our relationships? What about in our life? How much more important is it to pray and to bless those who curse us? And to, to show forgiveness, to show God's grace, to show our, our, for us to be a conduit of God's grace to those around us. Let's pray. Hey, Lord, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for your examples of grace that you've given us. We thank you for the grace that you show us. We just pray that you would help us to be able to show grace to others. You would help us to be able to forgive and to pray for and to bless those who, who have uh, wronged us. Lord, I pray that you would just use this to draw, draw us closer to you, to make us more like you as you have commanded us to be. Pray these things in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the Narratives of Grace podcast. If you have any questions and comments about this message or things you would like us to discuss in future episodes of the podcast, please email us at pastor and just put in the subject line narratives of grace or podcast. For prayer requests, please email us at prayer at so that we can be praying with you and for you over everything big and small. And in the email, you can just specify if you wanted to stay between the pastors or go out to the deacons or go out to the whole church body. And for more information on Mililani Baptist Church, please visit our website at mbaptist.org or follow us on social media or YouTube. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you'll join us next time.